We're going to continue this morning in our new sermon series called Habits. Um, We've been talking for three weeks now about habits. We spent the first week, in case you missed it, talking about looking back while moving forward and kind of the danger in that. Uh, By the way, I want to mention to you that a few people have had conversations with me about looking back, and they're like, yeah, but I've been through some hard stuff, and I know you're saying this is let it all go and move forward. That's not what I'm saying. There are people who've dealt with some really hard things, especially if it's pretty recent in your history, and you have to spend some time, and there's no timeline for things like grief or love you know and so I'm not saying just forget that and move on but some of us have a tendency to dwell far too long in the past and that's not what we want to do we want to be moving forward as Paul said leaning into what God has for us and not bound or not ruled over things in the past so just let that you know your mileage may vary but let that set in that there are seasons of grief there are seasons of mourning and God is sovereign over them all I think Ecclesiastes said something like that, didn't they? He said, uh, the wisest man ever lived, King Solomon said, uh, for everything there is a season, right? And so there are seasons of grief, and that's not to be, right? That's life. But then we move forward with God. That's the, the message of following Jesus. We move forward with God. And then last week we talked about getting maybe some long-term vision for your life, right? Those, those areas of your life maybe where, where you need to grow as a person or maybe you've never even thought about, well, what do I want to be when I grow up or, or what kind of a marriage do I want to be in or what kind of a parent do I want to be or what kind of a co-worker do I want to be or what kind of a Christian do I want to be? But we have to have some like long-term vision for our lives so we are aiming at something. A dear friend of mine, one of the people who influenced my life said, if you aim at nothing, you hit it every time. He lived here in Highland. He was a school administrator. He said, at least aim at something, because then you know if you're trying to hit it or not. But if you don't aim at anything, you're going to miss every time. And so I thought, man, that's really, I love wise people. By the way, we're going to talk about that next week, hanging out with wise people. That's a good thing, right? (laughs) And so praise God for that. And so we talked about needing that long-term vision. And maybe you don't have it, but maybe that's something you could think about, is, you know, we asked the question, and by the way, some of you... um, Maybe we're a little offended at the end last week when I said, now take your five-year vision card and throw it in the trash because it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. And I'm not saying that, but I'm not saying that flippantly, but I'm saying that ultimately it's going to happen or it's not going to happen. But I'm not too interested in talking about goals. I know some of you are goal setters. I want to talk to you about habits, I told you this week, and by the way, thanks to everyone who's replied to my emails. It's been so awesome. And if you replied to me, you should have gotten a reply back. And if you didn't, I mean, you should have. So if you didn't talk to me, because that would be some kind of spam filter thing happening. But I think I replied to a bunch of you guys who wrote me and shared your stories and shared who your heroes are and shared your examples and shared your long-term visions. And that's super exciting to hear. Because that, that, you know what it tells me? I'm not alone on this journey, right? That, I, that I'm with you and that we're going somewhere, even though we all have separate lives, we're going somewhere together for some bigger vision stuff. So I've been super blessed by that and appreciate you taking the time uh, to reply. But I told you in the email, this week, brass tacks. We're going to get down to some practical stuff. And what we begin to realize, and I told you this in week one, is that habits are a huge part of our life. There's actually a statistic that says like 45% of every daily, of all your daily activity is just 100% habit. That's funny to say. 45% is 100% habit. <laughs> 45% is, it's, uh, it works uh, 45% of the time, all the time. No, so habits are always at play in our lives. Um, they, 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 they come in and they, they sometimes get us when we're not looking and sometimes they are on purpose, but most often, and here's the trouble with habits, is most often we don't do anything, we're not doing it on purpose. It's not an intentional habit. It's just a habit we got into. You ever heard somebody say that? Well, I just fell into the habit. I've got a bad habit. I've got to break a habit. But today we want to talk about breaking habits. We want to talk about starting habits. See, the irony of habits is this. 
If you can harness the power of habit for yourself, you can change your life. Like if you just start to recognize the habit patterns in your life and then just, just play with them a little bit, you get different results. What is there's a famous quote that says something like, um, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result? I mean, if you look around your life, and, and, and by the way, can I just disclaim something right now? I know this stuff gets super close to like that power of positive thinking stuff and all that, and I'm not that guy. But I also think we have to look honestly at the truth, and if you start to examine your life and say, man, why does this keep happening to me? Why do I keep ending up in the same type of relationship? Why do I end up keep in the same dead-end job? Or why do I keep ending up in the same deep-seated anger? <laughs> I don't know what it is for you. When you end up there in the cul-de-sac again, you've got to kind of roll back and go, how did I get here? And many times, it's our habits that have led us there again and again. See, the funny thing about habits is they're very practical. They work all the time. And the question is, are we causing them to work for us or not? All right. And so um, I told you that there was three, at the beginning of the series, there was three major things in my life as I thought back, you know, as I prepared for the series coming into 2020, which is now crazy. It's three weeks old, right? But I thought there were three major areas. I want to mention them again where I'd had success. The first was Financial Peace University. And I'm not just saying next we're having a class. Like, it really did change things. But it wasn't like Brittany saying, you know, 10 years, whatever it's been for her. For us, it's been over 15 years, right? So it's like, wow, how did you guys do that? Well, 15 years of habits is how we did it, right? And one of the ways we did it, Brittany, was by leading a class. Because when we led a class, we realized that we weren't doing it right. And so we would correct our habit, correct our habit. And many people like you came to the class and said, uh, Bill, Chris, you're not doing that right. And we're like, ugh. You know, like, teacher becomes a student. And you're like, you're correct. We are not. And you know what happens when a wise person rebukes you? You change. That's what you do. You don't go, I know, I'm the teacher. No, I, I go, oh, man, you're absolutely right. And then you have a nice, beautiful money fight with each other, because that's what it does. And then you make a decision how we're going to go forward. What do we want to be? What's our long-term goal? So 15 years, that's where we saw success. But here's the thing I wanted to say about that is it was never about knowledge. Because I remember in the late 90s, yes, I'm that old, I remember studying books on finance. And I had all the knowledge that's included in this course. There'll be nothing in this course you probably don't already know. But the problem is I never did it. <laughs> the class used to be 13 weeks long. You know why? Because it takes 13 weeks to make a habit. That's why they did it, right? They wanted you to have three budget cycles. Now they, some people, ah, 13 weeks is too long, man. Okay, nine weeks. That's two budget cycles. If you're in the class, you'll be doing two full budgets by the end of the class, building a habit. Something else, by the way, is group accountability, someone else to do it with. That's important. Knowing that you're not a failure because you don't do it perfectly, that's important. Here's the second thing uh, that I want to share with you, the success area I had was, was my, my uh, food choices. I hate to call it a diet because it's not a diet, but the things I choose to put into my body. Um, I did this keto thing, and it was probably about, how long ago, be like two, two years? Yeah, it happened to be on her birthday when I first had my first non-whatever meal. Anyway, I'm not going to get into the details of that because it doesn't matter. What happened was I made a decision to change, but here's what I didn't do. I didn't tell anybody. See, this was my private thing. And so sometimes we go like this time of year, you got to tell everybody what you're going to try to do. And man, if you're like me, you're like, and then I'm going to fail and everybody's going to know. <laughs> you don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to do that. And so you know what I did? I low-key just said, let's just try and see. I'm just going to try one small thing. Hold the fries, hold the bun, bring me the burger. Just try. I didn't think it would work. And then it started to work. Guess what? When it started to work, people started asking questions. You know what I did? I didn't tell them. I'm like, oh, what? I didn't lie. I'm a pastor. I can't lie. But I was like... 
What? Oh, thanks. I've lost. Yes. But what are you doing? Don't worry about it. It's weird. You don't understand. And then I went to some friends of mine, Andrea Burns. She's here this morning. I went up to Andrea, and I'm like, Andrea, why is this working? She's like, I don't know. And I'm like, it's weirding me out, you know, because she's like medical there. She has in the back. Like, I, am, I, am I killing myself? She's like, I don't know. <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm going to keep doing it. You know, we'll see. And then you go on and on. What's the point? And then slowly over time, I try to tell this is what I'm doing. But I'm not saying you should do it. I do it all the time. If you're talking about it, I say, I'm not saying you should do it. That's not some kind of like mental jujitsu I'm doing there. I just, it's working for me. It may or may not work for you. What works for you? But it's a habit. It's a habit, but it was a private thing at first. Here's the third thing I talked to you about, which is last year, and this is your fault. I read the Bible in a year. I had tried before, and I'd never done it before. Why? This case, I made it public. And I, in exuberance in January, said, Family Bible, we're going to read the Bible in 365 days every day. I'm going to send out a tweet, and I'm going to send out a text, and it's going to be great. And then like, three, like about a month in, I was like, what did I do? Every day? And then we traveled, and I had to figure out time zone changes. And then I found out some of you are really picky about times. And you're like, um, you're not sending this to me until like 7, and I'm up at like 5. And I'm like, 5 o'clock? So then I started trying to send it at 5 in the morning. I'm like bleary-eyed, like, what's happening? I was literally typing it on my phone. Someone goes, are you actually sending those? I'm like, yes, that's me. That's why there was mistakes in it, right? It's like 5 in the morning, just read the Bible back to sleep, right? Why? Because in that case, I made it public. There was pressure. There was group accountability. If I didn't do this for the whole year, and believe me, the hardest was like November, December, because I just thought, man, I could, you know, it was a habit by then, but I'm like, I don't want to, I just didn't want to, I didn't always want to do it. But we were going to see it through. Listen to me, church. It's all your fault. I read the Bible in a year. Praise God. And guess what? I'm reading the Bible. I'm not going to say publicly on it, but I've, that habit's been hard to break by the grace of God. So those are three examples. Here's the question then. What do you need to start in your life? What are you going to start in 2020? I know we're three weeks in. You're like, Bill, that was three weeks ago, man. Listen, it's not too late. What are you going to start this year? 2020 is a baby. It's baby new year, right? We're just three weeks in. What are you going to start this year? See, here's what I want to say to you today. Starting one small thing, one little thing can change everything. Making a little step can change in huge ways. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. What's your little step? Now, you might have thought, Bill, you've forgotten your habit of prayer. I have not. I want to pray right now because I want to pray that God would teach us through his word and that we would learn together as we consider, is this, you know, what is this thing of making habits? So pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity we've had to gather together today and to sing your praises. It's so fun to do that with your people, to just remind ourselves and to let the word soak in of who you are and whose we are and, and our belonging to you and your grace to us and our, uh, your love for us and our response of love to you, and what a gift it is. Father, not everyone feels that. I understand. Not everyone knows you in that way. I understand. But Father, I pray that today, no matter how we relate to you or know you, I pray we would have an openness toward you, uh, that we would be listening to you, that for the busyness of the week, we've set aside time, I and mean, we're all here in the room. Why not make it count, and we're going to sit at your feet and learn from you. Would you teach us through the power of your word today? Would your Holy Spirit instruct us, instruct us and shape us? And then, Lord, would would, would you cause us to put these things into action? Um, would you encourage us in those days? It's hard. We love you so much. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that sets us free. What a great message that you would be glorified in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right, so, so a couple things we're going to get started with. We're not going to jump right into the scripture. We are going to get the scripture, but we want to talk, I want to talk about where this kind of came from a little bit. And the first uh, thing I want to mention to you is there's a book you can read on this if you want to read. And it's, it's not the Bible. You should read the Bible. But there's this book called The Power of Habit. And I actually have my copy right over here. Um, that uh, I snagged a couple years ago. Now, the funny thing about the power of habit was I was listening to a leadership podcast. By the way, when I hold this thing up, I'm not like saying, oh, you know, that's not it at all. That's what this book is for, right? Oh, right. But, um, but this book is helpful and, and uh, practical. And, um, and I heard some other leaders, ministry leaders, going, man, this thing has changed things for me. It's been really good. I was actually mowing grass in Jeff City, Missouri. I was like bouncing on the tractor, listening to a podcast. And I had to stop the tractor to write down the name of the book and actually email to myself my phone because that's what I do and then later on I bought the book and then the book sat on my desk huh, for years <laughs> but there's a great concept in here can I can I confess something this morning I still haven't read the whole book you know what I did though pro tip I actually got the audio version of the book because I can listen better than I can read matter of fact here's the real pro tip if you listen and you look it's super powerful and guess what else you can do you can listen at three times the speed so this is a 10-hour book if you want to listen to it at regular speed, but not me. 3X, baby. That's a three-hour read. If I had three hours to sit down and just look at this thing, I could probably bang that out, but I'm not that far into it. But sometimes you get a concept from a book, and it's just as good as reading the book. Now, I'm going to read the book. But here, here, the concept is that habits do make up a lot of our day. As a matter of fact, here's what this book brings. It brings a scientific inquiry into the power of habits. The author was a New York Times writer or something, and he going out to study why were certain people able to make change when others weren't, and there was a bunch of scientific literature on it. So if you're into that thing, and I am, like what's the, there's always um, a, a practical application uh, of why things are working for people, and we believe mythology about our own ability and stuff, and it's not it at all. It's just the power of habit in people's lives, and maybe some people are doing it on an accident, and some are on purpose. Um, a couple things about the book, by the way. It was published in 2012. It was a bestseller. You may have heard about it. And it focused on the science of our habits. But now that I told you to read the book, I'm going to show you one of the things it has in it. It's called The Habit Loop. And this is what's really interesting to me. The Habit Loop, oh, by the way, he doesn't title it this way. I've modified this for our use. But um, he calls it Q resp uh, Response, I think. Let me look at my notes to see what he's He calls it Q Routine Reward. Q Routine Reward. And so like, there's a thing, and then you, you have a routine, and you get a reward at the end. It doesn't really matter. I like to call it trigger, response, reward. I found that when I was explaining it to people, that's how I say the words, trigger, response, reward. Right? So you think about a trigger like on a gun. Like that's bang. It starts a process. And then there's a process, and at the end, you get a result. And that's the, the habit loop, right? And that's what the whole book is kind of about is that there's more stuff apparently I haven't got to yet, but that comes early and often in the book. And so I want to kind of walk through real quick. So here's some habit loops. I was trying to think of some of the things. I'm not very creative all the time, but like there's an alarm in the morning. If you get up after snoozing a whole bunch, I'm not saying you do, you brush your teeth. And when you brush your teeth, there's minty freshness in your mouth. That's pretty nice, isn't it? Even people like to sleep like me, do you know that's what they figured out with brushing your teeth? If it tasted good, you'd do it more. That's why toothpaste tastes good now. Brush your teeth, start the day, right? Wait a minute, you, not, okay, no, hit the alarm, make some coffee, drink some coffee, wear my people out. I brush my teeth later in the day, man, I want that coffee first. You guys are like, that's gross. Okay, fair enough, whatever. I told you this is like full disclosure, but those days I brush my teeth, yeah, minty fresh, then it's to the coffee machine. Make some coffee, watch the steam come off it, smell it, oh yeah, first thing in the morning, 
Delicious. That's a routine. It's a trigger. It's a response. And it's a reward. I get up out of bed for that. I can't wait to do it. Here's a funny thing. I got into the habit of making breakfast because I'm now eating differently and I make breakfast. But what I found is if I make coffee, I'll make breakfast and then I eat grapes. And there's these little grapes and they're super tasty first thing in the morning. It's a habit. It's a trigger, response, reward. While I'm doing something else, it's encouraging me to make breakfast and eat and make coffee every morning. These processes begin to happen automatically. Um, the, uh, the stimulus and the uh, reward are the high points in the process, and this is a funny thing. And I talked about this a little bit before, about the danger of driving roads you know all too much, right? Because what they figured out is that initially, the first time you do a habit, it's a whole new adventure. And it's like an adventure book. Pick, you know, choose your adventure, and you pick, what do I do here, what do I do there? And you go through the whole process, but at the end, you get the reward. And when you get the reward, you're like, awesome, that was fun, because I got a reward at the end, Right? So the next time you see the same trigger, you do the same thing and you go through the process. But guess what happens over time? The middle becomes meaningless. You don't really care what you do in the middle. You go from trigger to reward. And, and at the end, you go, how did I get here? A, a, a way I told you about this already was when you drive home a whole bunch, right? The first time you drive to a new house, you're like, Where, where's this exit? How do I get there? What street's this off of? And then you do it enough and then you find, here, here's a fun thing. Have you ever had the experience where you've been driven somewhere your whole life and you thought, I know the fastest way to get there? And then one time you pull like Google Maps or something out and it tells you a different way. You're like, that's not right. And it goes faster. You've been taking a long way your whole life and didn't know it. Anybody? Just me? Okay, fair enough. Well, I mean, those things happen. And what is it? Because I've gotten into a routine. It's not the most efficient. I've not taken the instruction. And now I get the same result. So this is what happens when you get home. You're like, how did I get here? Or when you leave the driveway and you automatically drive to work and you're actually going to your you know, cousin Benny's house for a holiday gathering. It's like, where are you going? Oh, I was going to work. Why? Because you do it every day. That's why. The routine has become irrelevant. It's about the reward, right? Trigger, reward. This is what drives so much of our life. The reason this happens, by the way, is because it's a different part of our brain that starts to take over. So when we're, we're first exploring opportunities, apparently it's the front, and I'm not a scientist, so you know what I'm saying, but it's the prefrontal cortex, our thinking brain, apparently, where this happens, and we're actively engaged. What should I do? What am I going to do? Is it going to work out? Am I going to die? Am I going to live? And at the end, you're like, hey, I live. That's pretty good. And then you remember that neural pathway. What worked? It worked before. I'm going to do it again. Can I tell you a funny side on this? This is what PTSD is. This is what PTSD is. I've done a lot of study of PTSD because I was curious about it. It's people who get into battlefield confrontations and they find things that work and it saves their life. And then they come home and it's not a battlefield and they re react to things and they don't even understand why they're reacting that way. It's because you have a pathway that saved your life and you think it's the way you have to be now, but you're not on the battlefield anymore. You have a whole new environment. You know how they change PTSD patients? This is wild. Cognitive behavioral therapy is what they call it. You know why? They ask you to slow down your thinking process and ask, why am I thinking this? Why am I doing that? Is that true? Here's a question. Are there other possibilities? Is that a gunshot or is it a muffler backfiring, a car backfiring? Is it possible that's not a gunshot? And if you open the door to this possibility, you don't have to follow the same neural pathway, right? And this is how they actually get people to come to, to like, they don't ever, it's never like you, you have this and then you don't have it, but you begin to pull back that alarm meter so you're not panicked every time something happens. There's a whole bunch more I can tell you about that. I won't go into it, but it's really fascinating because it's, 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 a, it's a practical thing that helped us before it doesn't help us any longer, right? This neural pathway. Well, what happens then? So the more we do something, the more it becomes a habit, the less we think about doing it. And this is why our habits work against us. They become part of our deeper brain. And then you start to crave. I actually watched an interview with somebody said smoking, cigarette smoking, isn't so much physically addictive as it's a habit addiction. I'm like, what? That's not true. 
No, they said in a hundred hours after your last cigarette, all nicotine's out of your body. There's no way you're having nicotine cravings after hundred hours. Now, some of you may smoke and you're like, shut up, right? Because I don't smoke, right? I actually tried to start the habit and I couldn't. It's a long story. Anyway, uh, but, but they, they, would, uh, they, would, they said what it is is you want something to do with yourself. You're bored or you're stressed. It's just a trigger. And your response has been, well, trigger, right? Reward. Yeah, that's the, ha- that's the loop you're in. And so the question is, how do you hack that and get a different, different response? Because the response is irrelevant. So that could be, here's a different response. You're stressed, go to the gym, punch a bag, run on the treadmill, right? Uh, make fun of the people who are lifting the stacks. I don't know, that's what I do when I'm there. Anyway, and then reward. You've, you've gotten your relief from stress, but you're not smoking yourself to death anymore. Pretty wild stuff, right? This, the way that we actually function. And so then what we start to realize is what we deal with in our life so much is the cumulative effects of a habit. The cumulative effects of a habit. That's what we actually deal with. They become automatic. We don't think about them. Okay, I'll, I'll say one more thing and we're going to jump into Daniel. I promise we're going to get to Daniel. But one more thing I want to share with you is this. So um, there are some habits that can cause your life to be really chaotic and difficult. I want to share three things that, um, and some of you, this came from some of the, um, the, uh, the people who wrote back to me and said, uh, hey, here's my ideas and stuff. And so I want to share something with you this morning. Um, and so here's one. I don't know if your wife's like my wife, but um, she believes that I exist just to drive her crazy. She actually thinks that that's true. We have to have rational conversations every day of like, I'm not trying to drive you crazy. And she's like, really? Because it kind of seems like... Okay, so let me tell you a story about habits and how they change things for me. This is going to be fun. Okay, so every day I was making breakfast. I told you this already. And I eat a lot of fat and grease. And so it's messy, right? And uh, so every day I would make my greasy breakfast and I would put my greasy spatula on the counter <laughs> next to the stove. And I was trying to keep the grease in the stove, which I don't do a good job of that either. But uh, then I would put, and she was like, you're driving me nuts. And I'm like, why? And she's like, there's always grease on the counter when you're done. Can you clean it up? And truth be told, I don't really want to clean it up every day. So guess what I did? This is called a systems hack. I got a plate that I'm going to eat my eggs on anyway. I'm proud of this, y'all. I put the plate next to the pan where I cook the eggs, and then guess what? I flip the eggs, and I put the greasy thing, because it's grease and I love it, right here on my plate. And then at the end of the thing, I put the eggs in the plate. I put the thing back in the, the, uh, the, the, the skittle, skillet we use, and then I go and I eat my eggs. Guess what? She doesn't get mad about the counter, because I got a systems change. It was a habit. I had a habit of lay. I didn't want to lay it on the thing. It didn't melt, right? I lay it on the plate. It's one step. So I'm so proud of that, y'all. No one's as proud of that as I am. I'm going to put this. I'm going to put it right here. That's one. No, no, here's another thing. Um, every day, I would get up, and I'd forget to take my pills. <laughs> I started this year. Actually, last year, I started a new habit of taking some vitamins, because apparently you're supposed to do that in life. I don't know. I'm trying to be responsible. But we put them in the cabinet. I forget them. Anybody forget your pills in the cabinet? Yes, thank you. Okay, right? Why are they in the cabinet? Chris says, why are they on the counter? I'll tell you why they're on the counter. Because what I had to do is put them in front of the salt and pepper. (laughs) So that every day when I wanted to take my pill, I had to move my pills to get to my salt and pepper to put on my eggs. And guess what? Now I've not missed a day in over like six months taking pills. Why? Because I'm not saying take these pills, by the way. I'm just saying. It's a habit. I was failing at it before. What was it? A systems change. I put the salt and pepper. I put the thing right in front. If you come to my house, you will see my vitamins in front of my salt and pepper. God, forgive me for that. One last thing. So that's two. Here's a third. Um, some of you said uh, 
You have to do something to get started. Somebody wrote back to me and said, you got to do something. First thing in the morning, get out of bed and get going. You got to get your first step going. I, like, I love that. So I told you I used to ride bikes long distance. Um, by the way, confession time. I don't exercise currently. I know I need to start. Maybe that's my thing. I don't know. But I don't hardly do any exercise, right, other than just life, you know? And um, I used to do that. And this bag actually is one of my triggers because whenever I did the uh, boot camp in the morning, I would get the bag and carry it to the gym, even though there was nothing in the bag I needed. Carrying the bag made me realize I had to go to the gym. Isn't that stupid? And I'd walk in and I'd throw this thing down on the benches and I would just pour my heart out on that basketball court with that general, I don't know what you call her, who dragged us around in the boot camp at 5.30 in the morning and then I'd pick up the bag and take it home. I literally took out one towel out of here to wipe my face at the end. I did nothing with the bag, but it told me I had to go to the gym because of the bag. I used to be a long-distance bicyclist rider, sort of long-distance, whatever, and, and you know what I would do? I wouldn't feel like going for, I'm like, oh, I don't feel like going for a ride. I've been working all day. And then you know what I'd do? I would put on my spandex. <laughs> now, look at these things. Come on, y'all. You laugh. These are expensive. Am I wrong? These are expensive clothes, y'all. And then I would put on my, my best friend used to call it my sausage shirt. <laughs> I'd put on this ridiculous ensemble. And then if I wasn't yet inspired enough, I would put on my gloves, my fingerless gloves, right? Why? Because I was triggering a behavior. That's what I think in hindsight, right? I didn't feel like it. But guess what? By the time I put all those stupid clothes on, I kind of felt like going for a bike ride, you know? And you might say, well, you look like a fool. And you're right until you get around a thousand bike riders and then you just fit right in <laughs> it's your people it's your tribe it's your trigger it's what you do right and so i'm not doing that currently as confession time but that's what i used to do i would get that out and i would get it on and then all of a sudden i would get going so maybe some of you need those things in your life you need something to trigger you to get going okay so what 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 is the cumulative effect of the habits that you want in your life and and truly i want to can one habit change your life well, I'm going to share with you a story. This is the biblical model, by the way, um, the man Daniel. Daniel's an Old Testament dude, and if you don't know, Daniel has been, uh, I heard someone say Daniel is the role model for Judaism. Like he was, the, if you wanted to be a good Jew, a, a, a God-honoring Jew, you would follow Daniel's life. That's what it would look like to be a good Jew. And maybe you've heard the story um, about Daniel. A couple things on his background, by the way, is Daniel was handsome, um, he was wise, and he was faithful. And we're going to maybe prove that today from the text. Right? He was handsome, wise, and faithful. But you might have also heard that Daniel survived a night in the lion's den. Right? He was thrown in the lion's den. You've heard the story. They probably heard it in blast before even. And then in the morning, he was still alive. And it's like, what kind of a thing is that? We're going to talk about that. This is from Daniel 6. And so turn there if you want to. I'm going to have uh, one of the, the key verse up here, 6-3. We're going to talk around it just a little bit. Right? So Daniel, this guy that I told you about, he'd come into... Um, uh, this land where he was um, uh, being kind of incorporated into their culture. And so, and Daniel here, I'm just going to read this. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the seraphs by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So the first thing you have to understand about Daniel when we find him in chapter 6 is he's so impressive to the king that the king's going to promote him to be in charge of everything. Like, and he's a foreigner, right? He's not, he's not of the royal household. And so Daniel's going to be set over. Why? Because of his exceptional qualities. And this is the question that I have of Daniel. I told you he's handsome, he's wise, and he's faithful. And it's like, oh, brother, right? Like he's on the cover of like GQ whatever that be for the Jewish people back then. You know what I'm saying? He'd be the guy going, oh, if I could be like Daniel. But how did he get to be an exceptional quality among his exceptional qualities amongst his peers? You see, because it's always kind of a comparative thing. 
he was an exceptional, he had exceptional qualities, so much so that the king, listen to verse 4, there are people that are like me. At this, the administrators and the, and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they weren't able to do so. So he's making enemies because he's doing so well in life, right? That it's like, well, we're going to take this dude down. You know, this is all the precursor to the lion's den, by the way, in case you're wondering, that's where it's going to lead, okay? And this is what it says. They were trying to find some way he was mismanaging government resources, and they could find nothing wrong. Man, if that were true for us today. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy, and he was neither corrupt nor negligent. So he was doing a great job. I'm like, man, Daniel's killing it. Yes, to be like Daniel. How could I be like Daniel? I want to talk about that. Let's turn back, if you're in your Bibles, turn back to Daniel chapter 1, because this is where the story of Daniel begins. I'm going to pop this key verse up here, but I'm going to read around it a little bit. Oops. So this is when Daniel comes in, and the Lord delivered, I'm going to start in verse 2, and the Lord delivered uh, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, that's into the enemy's hand, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put the treasure in, his, in the house of his God. So this has been like a capture, and now Israel is being kind of inculcated into this culture that they do not want any part of. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his royal court, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and of the nobility. Now here's the descriptor in verse 4. Young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, and well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. So this is the kind of people that Daniel's like. He's in this group. He's selected because he's in that group. Physically attractive, able to be taught, takes things up quickly, right? So he has some things going for him. And I'm going to ask the question again. Is this just because he's born that way? What's going on with Daniel? Um, let's see. He was able to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king, verse 5, assigned them a daily amount of food. This is the first clue we get to who Daniel is, by the way. The king assigned him a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. So you can imagine you've been taken into captivity. Now you're going to eat at the king's table in his kingdom. You're going to be fed like a king for three years. Among those were from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave them Belshazzar. I should be able to say his names, I can't. To Hananiah, Shadrach, we know these. Mishael, Meshach, and Ezariah, Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know the story. These are the four people that are included in the intro of this text. Um, but here we go. Now verse 8, and this is the key verse. So he's been invited in. He's been selected amongst the, the prime people to come into the kingdom. And this is what the word says. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and with wine. And he asked the chief official for permission to not defile himself in this way. What? He gets invited to the king's table, and he's like, I appreciate it, but can I not do that? I was like, well, what, is, what would cause a young man who's got all this favor and all these things going for him to say, no, I'm not going to do that? You can imagine it's the biggest smorgasbord ever. He could have had anything he wanted. He could have ate like a king for three years, and he refuses it. I have to think he had a habit. 
He did not want to break. Matter of fact, we find out later. Um, let's see here. We pick it up here. Verse 9. Um, now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord the king who has assigned you food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than other men of your age? The king would then have my head because he was like, you're going to look terrible if you keep doing the way you've been doing it. Don't keep doing it that way. And this is what Daniel said. Um, let's see. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official appointed over Daniel, uh, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us a chance. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see, right? And this is what happens. So 10 days later, at the end of 10 days, in verse 15, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who had been eating the royal food. And so the guard took away their choice food and wine and, and they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. By the way, can you imagine being those dudes? Not happy. <laughs> I would not be happy. <laughs> vegetables and water for three years after I was at the king's table. But it was better. And Daniel knew it was better. Why? Because he had had this habit. There's no way. If he had walked in there and be like, Cheetos. Like, who loves Cheetos? Why do you love Cheetos? I mean, why? Because they figured it out. It's crunchy, it's sweet, it tastes good, it gets on your fingers, which is super annoying, but you can't, you know, you ever tried to like lie about eating Cheetos? No, I'm not. Try to eat them and look like, you know, elegant. You can't do it. It's like the most ridiculous food. It's like they're mocking you because you can't eat, you can't stop eating the Cheetos, right? When I was a kid, it was cheese balls. Oh, cheese balls, blah, 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 you know? They're building a habit in you, so your whole life you see that and you trigger, oh, gotta have the Cheetos. Peanut M&M's. I'm just saying, peanut M&M's, come on, y'all. Like, they're building in these triggers. So, but Daniel's like, no, no Cheetos, no M&M's, vegetables and water. Why? He had to have a habit. He had to be this kind of a person. And it goes on, then they go through this process. Uh, all the people get trained in that way. We're not going to spend more time there, but I wanted to mention that this is, that when we see Daniel in chapter 6, it's not like the first time we've ever heard of Daniel. He has a backstory. He has a purpose. He has a place he's coming from, and he has a place where he's going. And he believes that his habits are going to, I mean, I'm inserting that, but I think he does, there's something in his habits that he says, no way. Let me tell you a quick story. One time, a friend of mine, we were over at their house, and their kid was like screaming for a snack. You know, the kid's like, mom, mom, snack, snack, want a snack, want a snack, rah, right? You know, kids, you know what I'm saying? Got one of those? I got a couple of those. Anyway, and fine. Here's the broccoli. And the kid's like, broccoli, I love, I'm like, what is the sorcery you've done? They're like, that's the treat we give here. It's not Cheetos or M&Ms or Yoo-Hoo, it's broccoli. And the kid, four-year-old kid, please give me broccoli. I'm like, wow, I'm doing parenting wrong. Thank God my kids are grown too late. Sorry, Olivia, good luck with your future. You build in habits. You create habits. You create expectations. You create desires. This is what it is. It's a trigger, a response, a reward. This is what's happening. And all of a sudden, a broccoli is tasty. Um, sometimes we are afraid to start a habit because we don't want to start. And so I want to jump over real quick. And this is from the book of um, uh, Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah, and I'm going to put it up here on the screen. You'll turn it if you, unless you want to. But it's Zechariah 4.10. And this is a great little verse about starting small. Because I told you earlier, maybe start small, right? Here's what the verse says in 4.10. Who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel give you a context of what's happening here. They're going to start rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem. 
And people are mocking it. Oh, yeah, like you're going to put back a stone by stone? What are you going to do? What's funny about the NIV is it actually says the eyes of Yahweh, which run back and forth amongst the earth, are rejoicing in a small thing. That, that this is part of the problem. We think we're going to make some big decisions, some big change, and it's all going to change forever. And it's like, no, you're going to start with a small thing and do it in a small way, and you're going to continue to do the small thing over time, and it's going to matter a whole bunch right? It's going to have that same cumulative effect that we already have from our habits. This is the idea that God does not despise small things. Let me just say something to you real quick. If you have a conviction you're going to try to read more of the Bible this year, that's a small thing. So start it. And don't think, well, I read four days and I quit, so who cares? God's rejoicing. He's looking over all the earth. Who's going to do something small for me? Who's going to start something small for me? Are you going to acknowledge him in some way? Are you going to maybe like start exercising in some way, right? I mean, talking to myself here. Are you going to start something small? And then God's going to be like, yes, that's what I want. Baby steps. I want little steps. Now I want to get back into Daniel because there's two more stops. We're going to be done then. Two more stops. And the first is in uh, Daniel 6. So let me turn there. Uh, let's see if we got it up here. I think we do. Yeah, verse 10. So the king makes this edict, right? You must bow down when you hear the chime. There's a trigger. Your response is you're going to worship the king, and your reward is you don't die. That's what the, that's what the loop is now, right? They, these guys who wanted to trap Daniel said there's a loop. Let's say if you hear the harp, if you hear the lyre, if you hear the music playing, then you've got to get on your face and worship the king and nobody else. And if you don't, we're going to cut your head off. That's what's going to happen. You're going to die. Or you're going to be thrown in the lion's den, right? You're going to die. And so this is what the word says. I want you to hear. So we talked about Daniel before. When he came to the king's table and says, no way. Oh, let me give you a little history, by the way. That king was not the same king that this king is. Daniel has survived multiple kings in his position. Why? Because he has some long-term vision of what he's doing. He has some overarching commitment to God. He is not going to be swayed by who's in charge right now, right? So he's still there serving. And the word says this in verse 10. It says, when Daniel learned that this decree had been published, worship or die, this is his response. He went to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three days he got down, three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God. And what's the last part of that sentence say? Just as he had done before. The power of habit. Daniel's like, no way. <laughs> Don't worship my God, no way. <laughs> worship the king, no way. <laughs> Not me. I've been worshiping God my whole life. I'm not going to stop for you. And he continues to worship God. He continues to pray God just as he had always done before. I'm stunned by his conviction and commitment. By the way, I mentioned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In the middle of those two stories, those dudes got thrown in a fiery furnace for almost the same thing disobeying that king. And guess what? They didn't die. They didn't die. It's just a lie of the enemy. It's going to cost you everything. It's not true. God, losing God, losing those habits that are instilled in our lives will cost us everything, but not other stuff. That's a lie. If you don't eat those M&Ms, you're not going to die. If you don't eat that Cheeto, you're not going to die. But if you don't submit, if you don't worship, if you don't follow God, you will surely die. Isn't that wild, man? That's the first thing we hear in the book of Genesis. Did he really say... If you touch it or eat from it, you'll surely die. You'll not surely die. We believe these lies. He went home and he prayed like he always did. Here's some application from today. First, I want to encourage you to start small. Start small. Pick something. 
you know, and don't, you don't have to tell me what it is or nothing else, and don't do something I've done, like don't, I mean, just do, what, what is it in your life, a small thing, I want you to step back from a moment and say, what's really happening here, what's the trigger, and what's my response, and what's the reward, and how can I kind of hack that process, something simple, avoid a, a marriage fight, avoid a parent fight, just change a little habit, you're not trying to drive people crazy, right, and some of you are like, kind of, no, you're not, you're not, Here's the second thing I want to encourage. Application first, start small. The second thing, keep it private. You don't got to tell nobody. Just try it. Don't even tell them. If you're afraid you're going to fail, just don't tell nobody. Just go ahead and try to do it. I'm just going to try 10 days. I'll try it for 10 days. Let's see how it goes. I'm going to make one small change. It's not, maybe it won't change the world. I'm going to try one small thing. Here's a third uh, application. Maybe make it public. Maybe you're like, no, I need to tell some people. I have a problem. I, I need to change this about myself. I need to meet somebody at the gym. Like, that's what would work for me, honestly. If I met somebody at the gym, I'd go to the gym. I don't go by myself. So maybe you need to make it public in some way. And the fourth is then build a habit. Build a habit. Oh, yeah, here's the fifth thing. And this is the thing that this, this book, um, by the way, it's funny. I haven't read this book, but I've read this book. So praise God. <laughs> um, but the fifth thing is give yourself a reward. Reward good behavior, you know. That's how we work. Like do something. One of the funny examples I use in this is they say, uh, when you first start exercising, eat chocolate when you're done. People go, no. It's like, no, eat chocolate when you're done first. If you love chocolate, eat it when you're done exercising. Why? Because you're creating that, ah, I love exercise, get chocolate at the end. And they said, what's funny is you do it enough, you don't want the chocolate anymore. You know, you want the exercise because there's, there's an intrinsic value to some of these things that we should be doing. Praying, there should be, there's intrinsic value in our relationship with Christ. There's intrinsic value in these things, but we don't always see them initially. So give yourself a reward. Um, I, I want to close with this and we're going to have communion. Uh, Daniel 6 in the lion's den is not Daniel's highest accomplishment in my estimation. Um, Daniel goes on, and uh, in, in chapter 9, I couldn't believe this because I was just reading through the book, you know, because I wanted to see the context of everything. And I can't read this whole prayer, but if you want to read it later, I encourage you to read Daniel chapter 9 because Daniel, this man of God who's, who's had these habits his whole life, he gets on his face and it says this, I prayed to the Lord my God and I confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. We have sinned and we have done wrong. Listen to the language. We have sinned and we have done wrong. We have been wicked and we have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people. Um, I'm sorry, we have not listened to them, all the people in the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. I mean, Daniel's just like, I am with these people, and man, we have screwed up, and we have not honored you, and we are in captivity because we have failed to be obedient to you. And he's confessing all these things, and then, I can't read the whole prayer, but here in the middle, I love this. He says, just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving our attention to your truth. I mean, Daniel's like, we just got to repent. We got to stop. There's a way out of captivity. There's a way out of exile. There's a way out back into the promised land. If we'd only turn to you. And he concludes by saying this, give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, listen to the word, but because you are great in mercy. So have mercy on us. I mean, Daniel, at the end of his life, he's like Paul in this way. He doesn't say, I'm righteous. He's like, you are right, and we are wrong, and we are submitted to you. We're turning away from our sin, and we're believing good news. I don't know if you believe that we serve a God of mercy and of hope and of a future, but this is the God we serve. This is the God we're invited to serve together. Um, I hope that you believe that. I hope you believe it all more every day. You believe 
in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's several times in the New Testament the word says with Jesus, as was his custom. He went out to the mountain to pray. As was his custom, he went into the synagogue to teach. Later on, it says the apostle Paul, as was his custom, he went and, and debated the faith with people. As was his, what, habit. They just made it a habit of life. This is who I'm gonna be. This is my long-term goal. This is what I, this is what I am, this is who I am. And, they, and, and Paul, especially in the, the uh, brothers and sisters who believe in Christ, just set their minds on Christ and followed after his leadership, as was his custom. I wanna pray today, and I'm gonna pray a couple things that you would maybe start following Jesus in your life. Maybe you had, and you're not right now. I'm gonna just invite you to start again. Little thing, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you. Um, if you've never believed that God died for your sins, I pray you'll believe that. Maybe you're still trying to pay, make it right, make it, you know, do your best. I don't think that's the gospel. And then uh, just pray that God would help us to apply this word today. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to come into your presence and to hear of those who've gone before us and who have, have changed things because of their faithfulness to you. I, I, I can't help but think of the household that Daniel came from, and, and not that we have perfect parents on earth, because as parents, we know we screw up, but boy, to build in good habits is such a gift that we can continue to live in later. I pray, Father, that you know, before we would start trying to clean anybody else's house, we'd clean our own, and we would look at our lives, Lord, what are the things in our life uh, that are dishonoring to you? Would you help us to get rid of them? Uh, what are the things that we need more of? What is the thing we need to start? What is the thing that's more glorifying to you? What, what is that little step we can take, Father? Would you convince us in our hearts we should try it, take it? Um, may we begin, you know, and Father, I want to pray against the lie that we don't have enough time because, you know, we have all the time you give us in this life. So would you give us the, the confidence and faith to believe that we have time to change one step at a time, that nothing happens before you're ready and that we are, have time to be prepared for you. May you be glorified. I pray your Holy Spirit will continue to convict us of our sins. We'd be like Daniel. You know, at the end, we wouldn't say, oh, look how righteous we are. We'd say, oh, man, we have screwed up. We have to repent and believe again. Turn back toward the God of mercy. Help us to do that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.